You may be seated, and as you are seated, turn in your Bibles to Exodus 15. We're going to be reading chapter 15, verses 1 through 21, as our continuing series on the book of Exodus. I do want to say I see representatives from Wildwood Presbyterian, Wildwood Church out there today. Good to see you here with us. They've been working all week uh, in the sanctuary up on the scissor lift uh, bringing down some of that plaster that needs to come down. It's, it's pretty much cleaned out in there. Thanks, thank you so much for your, for your good work and being with us. Again, another uh, real encouragement to us. Exodus chapter 15, beginning with verse 1. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his, and his host he cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood up in a heap. The deep congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue. I will overtake. I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind. The sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. You have led them in your steadfast love, the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples have heard, they tremble, pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab, and the inhabitants of Canaan are melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them. Because of the greatness of your arm, they are still as a stone. To your people, O Lord, pass by. Till the people pass by whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain. The place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode. The sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. For when the horses of Pharaoh and his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea. Then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. 
the horse and his rider has been thrown into the sea. Father, we come to you this morning. We pray that this word would result in joyful singing on our part as we know the reality of a great God who is a great warrior who saves us and secures us for all eternity. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 1968, Maya Angelou wrote a book, a well-known book entitled, I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings. That came from a book of poetry, a, a line of poetry written by Paul Lawrence Dunbar. He lived in the late 1800s, and he was the son of slaves who were released after the Civil War. And he writes in his poem entitled Sympathy, published in 1899. I know why the caged bird sings, ah me. When his wing is bruised and his bosom sore, when he beats his bars and he would be free. It is not a carol of joy or glee, but a prayer that he sends from his heart's deep core but a plea that upward to heaven he flings. I know why the caged bird sings. Ever feel trapped? Sometimes we sing because we're singing the blues, like a caged bird. Sylvia Martin wrote in 1905, and that was coincidentally the year before Paul Dunbar, the poet, that I mentioned previously died. And she wrote, I sing because I'm happy. Some of you know the next line. I sing because I'm free. His eye is on the sparrow and he watches over me. Do you have something to sing about? The Israelites at the beginning of the book of Exodus were like a caged bird in Egypt. And we find the Israelites here in Exodus chapter 15 singing because they have been freed. I know why the freed bird sings. It's in our text today. Now I want to say this right off the start. This is not a nod to this group from Alabama that wrote a song about the freedom from captivity of a particular bird. Okay, if you, Some of you are connecting with me. I know why the freed bird sings. I sing because God has won a great victory and he has freed me. He saved me and I did nothing to accomplish it. Remember last week we talked about the Israelites. What did they do to help themselves in this great victory that God achieved? Well, they were bait. That was it. God said, okay, Moses, I want you to take the children of Israel and wander out in the wilderness and I want I want you to go right up against the Red Sea where you are in a completely indefensible position and the Egyptians are going to look at that and they're going to go come on boys let's go and get them they're in a completely helpless situation that was God's plan and that's all the Israelites did to help that plan they were bait and so the Chariots came and the Egyptians came and they pursued the Israelites. And God told Moses to hold out his staff over the Red Sea and it parted. And the children of Israel walked through that Red Sea and when they got to the other side, the Egyptians followed them 
The waters covered them up. And God won a mighty victory over the Egyptians. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name, Exodus 15, 3. And I sing because I'm free, not just because he watches over me like a little defenseless sparrow, but because he has his hand around the neck of the hawk who would destroy me. You know, if you're here visiting with us today, one of the things, one of the realities after the hurricane is that so many of the birds that have been here before are gone. The, the birds have, uh, have left or died, and some of them are coming back. But one of the problems that we have is this is, uh, this is prime hunting uh, for hawks. Hawks uh, up in the few remaining trees uh, have a clear vantage point for uh, any little songbird that might uh, pass its way. And so we have a God who saved us from the hawk. And so we sing. Israel sang because they had somebody that was pursuing them to their death. And so Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously, the horse and rider he has thrown into the sea. Just kind of curious, how many of you sang this song in youth group growing up? I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously, the horse and rider thrown into the sea. Right? Lord, my God, my strength, my song has now become my victory. The Lord is God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. Some of us sang this song. It was a really chipper, upbeat song about God defeating the Egyptians. Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. Now, it's interesting to look at biblical commentators and how they sort of try to parse out each scene of this song. Uh, and they just, they take it a little too literally. The horse and rider were thrown into the sea. Well, the sea, what could that mean? I mean, the sea, sea kind of covered them over. They weren't really thrown into the sea. Uh, Exodus 15, 8, and the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up, the floods stood up in the heat. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. This was... That east wind, we found out, blew and heaped up the waters last week, and yet this shows it was God, his nostrils, so to speak, that he was intimately involved in this being done. He stretched out his right hand. The earth swallowed them, Exodus 15, 12. And so what's going on here is essentially to use an analogy that makes sense because it is March Madness. For God, this was a slam dunk, right? The Egyptians were completely defeated. So let's sing, let's sing, says Moses and the people. Because God is our God. Exodus 15, 2. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. God has a relationship with us. We have a covenant relationship. God made promises to Abraham 
and to his descendants that he would be their God after them. And we are the descendants spiritually of Abraham as well. We are the covenant people of God in a covenant relationship with him. And we can say, God, you are our God. You are a great and a mighty warrior and you bring salvation to us. You see, we have an enemy as well. And make no mistake, we have an enemy that seeks our death, our destruction, our enslavement. And listen how confident the enemy was. All of the first-person pronouns, the enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw the sword. My hand shall destroy them. And we have an enemy that seeks death and enslavement, enslavement to sin. He loves the death of people. John chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus Christ said, You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. The Bible speaks of the reality of the devil, of Satan, and those beings, uh, the demonic beings that are opposed uh, to people, to human beings. 1 John 3, 12, we should not be like Cain who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. Revelation chapter 2, 10, do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested for 10 days. You will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. And so Satan would seek to prevent ministry, uh, to prevent uh, the gospel going forward. He would uh, seek uh, to undermine the freedom of God's people. Um, I was driving down the street about a week ago with somebody in the car, and they said, as I've mentioned here before, do you ever notice how many churches took it on the chin, church buildings here in the county? And I said, yes. I mean, it is amazing as you go around. Um, we have an adversary who is opposed. And so I'll be very interested to see at the end of the day uh, what God does. Uh, we have opposition. We have difficulty. We have setback. But God is at work. 1 Thessalonians 2.17, uh, Paul speaks of the opposition that he is facing in hindering his work. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. Because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. And Satan has a strategy that includes death and destruction to discourage people. Job chapter 1, verse 9, Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land, but stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. And later we read, after many other difficulties, Job 118, 
There came another who said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, and behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young people, and they are dead, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Death and destruction from Satan. And there are attempts to discourage you through death and destruction, to discourage you in your faith, to discourage churches in their work. Now, we've been able to give God praise because as much difficulty as we went through, uh, there was much we had to be thankful for, and God was merciful to us. The, the destruction was limited. Um, just over a week ago, March 14th, Cyclone E-Day hit Mozambique. Uh, the United Nations has said of that cyclone, that hurricane, that it is perhaps uh, the greatest uh, destruction through a cyclone that has occurred in the southern hemisphere in some time. And we happen to know some missionaries there through uh, a mission connection in Chattanooga at our church. Uh, Ed and Sally Kane were missionaries to Brazil, and their son and daughter-in-law are there as missionaries in Mozambique. And they were able to get word out right after the hurricane. Uh, the Canes wrote of their children, Robert and Karis Kane in Mozambique with African Inland Mission have survived so Klein, uh, cyclone. the cyclone Friday night. They texted over WhatsApp that it looked like a war zone. Uh, there's a humanitarian crisis. Pray for a miracle. And they said that during the hurricane itself, uh, they had maybe 20 people in their home. And then the day after the hurricane, they got more and more rain, perhaps two or three feet of water, which caused flooding. And they said the night after the hurricane, their house had 300 people uh, sleeping. Uh, so in every, in every spot possible, lots stayed sitting, up, stayed sitting up all night. And so they said, thank you for praying. Uh, uh, the, the wife said, I want to have a pure heart so that I can honor God in my words and my actions. Pray for wisdom and love and how to do stuff we've never done before. And so perhaps like you, you're in the midst of crisis. Uh, maybe like you, like the Cains, you've cried out to God. Maybe you've literally cried out uh, to God. And that's okay. Go ahead. Because we have a mighty warrior. And his eye is on you. Peter said it this way. He said of our mighty warrior, Jesus Christ. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. So let us pray for the Canes. Let us pray for our brothers and sisters in Mozambique. We know the devil will not prevail. Because God is a mighty warrior. And he is working in their lives and he's working in our lives for his good and our glory. And so as we look to the future, how is it going to be different for us as a church? How will he change us as his people? What will he do in us and through us on the other side of this trial? Because we, like Israel, are saved. Uh, we've been saved certainly from the hurricane, but much more importantly from the ultimate destruction that the evil one would like to unleash, unleash on us. Eternal separation with God after death. Jesus Christ said, I am the resurrection and the life. 
Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Like the Israelites, we have nothing to contribute to this salvation, this death that looms over us. It's simply by faith in the one who accomplished it in Jesus Christ who defeated death, who defeated the penalty of our sin, who defeated the work of Satan in the cross. And Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you that whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. And we're like the Israelites. Once their back was against the Red Sea, without any hope, until that Red Sea opened up, and they passed through to salvation, and they're on the other side of the Red Sea, and the waters covered over the enemy. And so their backs were on the Red Sea looking in another direction. They were looking out into the wilderness. They were looking forward to the promised land. And they would encounter trials along the way. But they knew that the God that saved them from the Egyptians, their mighty warrior, would be the God who would be with them as they traveled. And so we look forward and we sing. And we sing because we're confident in God's victory, not only in what he did on the cross in Jesus Christ, but what he is going to do in the future. You know, some songs are like that. We have even our national anthem, right? National anthem was written by Francis Scott Key, witnessing the bombardment of Fort McHenry by the British in the War of 1812. And he sang, and he wrote, that is, and the rocket's red glare, the bombs bursting in air, gave proof to the night that our flag was still there. So we look back at that event, and then we sing, O oh, say, does that star-spangled banner yet wave? Or the land of the free and the home of the brave. The song's not just about what took place in the 1800s. It's about looking forward to what we have, the freedoms that we still possess as embodied in the flag. And so too, the, the Israelites have a song. And they sang a song because they had a future. Exodus chapter 15, 14 through 16. The people have heard, they tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia, now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed, trembling seizes the leaders of Moab, all the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away, terror and dread fall upon them, because of the greatness of your arm, they are still as a stone, till your people, O Lord, pass by, till the people pass by whom you have purchased. All of these people that are mentioned are the people that they're going to face, that they're going to encounter, that they're going to have difficulty with. In the future, they sing a song of faith, knowing that their great warrior God is going to be with them in the future, just like he has been in the past. We see here in the text a praise to God. This is, this is all about God. This is all about God's greatness. This is all about what God has accomplished. And they rely on the Lord and not on false gods. And we need to understand in our difficulties, just as in Israel's difficulty, that we can be tempted to rely on false gods instead of have faith in the true God, 
And one of the purposes of the plagues was to show Pharaoh in Egypt who the real God was. Um, we mentioned as we looked at the text uh, going through these many weeks that part of what happened in the plagues was, um, was God showing Pharaoh that he had control over all of these so-called gods. For instance, the God of the sun, Ra, and was embodied in the Pharaoh. Um, we, there was darkness, the plague of darkness. God, the Lord says, I'm in control of the sun, not Ra. Wonder what Pharaoh was thinking as he was chasing the Israelites in the middle of the night. And God protected the Israelites with the cloud and with the fire that accompanied them. God, the Lord, is the one who is the possessor of light. So God was showing Pharaoh who was boss, but he was also showing the Israelites as they were tempted to put their trust in false gods. Exodus 15, 11, and 12, they sang, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your hand, and the earth swallowed them. Now, again, some of the commentators say of this passage, they say, well, the Israelites obviously didn't know that there was only one God. They believed that Yahweh, the Lord, was the greatest God, but obviously they didn't know uh, that the other gods were uh, lacking in reality. And we do see in Scripture sometimes that the that revelation is progressive. God reveals more and more and more to his people. Is that true of this? No, it's not. At the time of Moses, they were told that there is only one God. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 34 and 35 or has any God ever attempted to go and take a nation for himself from the midst of another nation by trials, by signs, by wonders, and by war, by a mighty hand, and an outstretched arm, and by great deeds of terror, all of which the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes? To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord is God, and there is no other besides him. So why didn't God just say, oh, silly Israelites, there are no other gods? No, he said, he is the great God above all gods. Any God that you would put your hope in, God is greater. And like the Israelites who were tempted to put their faith and put their trust in other false gods that were no gods, we are as well. The Bible in the New Testament says money can be a god. Pretty easy to see why. You can take dollars and you can exchange them for housing, um, food, shelter, uh, money. I can give you quite a lot. And it's easy, instead of understanding that God is the giver of money, to put faith in the gift rather than the giver. But we're to put our faith in the true God. The true God that can save. And God will get glory through that as you trust him in your trials, in your difficulties, that he alone is God and he alone can save. Our neighbor is a believer in Christ, uh, family, is a fellow uh, professor of faith in Jesus Christ. We know that. We've been talking to our neighbors. They lost about a third of their roof. They lost 
most of their house was gutted except for two rooms. And uh, one of the things they did, I posted this on my Facebook page. Some of you saw they, they wrote in that bare floor, a concrete floor that was uh, stripped, uh, Bible verses. And one of the Bible verses that they wrote was 2 Corinthians 5.1. Now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house. It's their way of saying we know where our real home is. Now, they, like others, have had their difficulties with their adjuster, and they had their fourth or fifth adjuster come in and look at the house uh, just last week. And as the adjuster was going through the living room and undoubtedly saw these Bible verses, uh, he said to them, well, you know, the insurance company will give you a payment for up to 10 outlets in your living room. Um, and she said, we've got four. We don't need 10. I'm not gaming the system. Just pay us for the damages that we have, would you? Okay. And so later, in discussions with the, the adjuster, the adjuster made it clear that he appreciated the honesty of um, my neighbor. God gets the glory. Uh, they're putting their hope not in false gods, but they're putting their hope in the Lord to provide. The Lord who is in heaven, as the verse goes on to say, and we have an eternal home not built with human hands. We sing because we're confident that we not only have a warrior, but we have a king. And we look forward to getting home to that promised land with our king. You will bring them into the land and plant them on your own mountain, the place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. We have a king, and that king is Jesus, Colossians chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. And so we are already part of his kingdom, but we look forward to the ultimate reality when we will be with God and God will be with us. And behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, Revelation 21, 13. He will dwell with them and be with his people, and God himself will be their God. And so we sing. We sing because we have a future. We know who our king is, and we know what our future is. And we don't just sing once. We sing again and again and again. And part of the reason why we sing is because we can remember, just like I can remember the song from 40 years ago. Because I sang it over and over and over and over again in youth group. Verse 15, 20, and 21. Then Miriam, the prophetess, and her sister, and the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out with their tambourines and dancing. And they sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and rider was thrown into the sea. Well, I thought we just sang that. Well, yes, we did. Well, we're going to sing it again, and this time with singing and dancing. By the way, we have some dancing professionals in the room, and you might find it interesting that in the Bible, most, if not every instance, where you find women dancing and singing with tambourines, it's over a victory celebration. It's not just general praising of the Lord. 
And we find that there will be in the future, the song of Moses will be sung once more. Book of Revelation, it's mentioned, a recording of future events. And then I saw another sign in heaven, a great and, great and amazing. Seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last. For with them the wrath of God is finished. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. The song of Moses, in the end, will be the song of the Lamb, the Lamb of God, who comes as our King, but the one who sacrificed himself, the Lamb of God, to take away our sins, to take away the sin of the world. He has achieved victory. Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God, the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you. And so we look forward to that day when there will be complete victory. We look forward to the day when the devil will be completely defeated. Even as now, we can say that in the cross he has been defeated. But in Revelation chapter 20, 10, it says, The devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophets were. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And so we sing on the way to the promised land. Because we know not just our past. We know that we've been saved by this incredible act of God. In Jesus coming, truly God and truly man. Sacrificing himself for us. Living the perfect life for us. Defeating death through the resurrection for us. But one, one day he will defeat every enemy. One day he will dry every tear. And we look forward to that. And we sing of it. What good is it to sing of the future triumph in the present world? C.S. Lewis said this. If you read history, you will find that Christians who did most, of, most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. The apostles themselves who set on foot the conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men who built up the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. There was a voice of the Martyrs blog. This is an organization that speaks of the persecuted Christians around the world. And this one was of a persecuted pastor who had been enchained in the past by the communists. And he said, when we were in prison, we sang almost every day because Christ was alive in us. The communists were very nice to us. They knew we liked to praise God with musical instruments, so they gave every Christian in prison a musical instrument. However, they did not give us violins or mandolins. These were too expensive. Instead, they put chains on our hands and feet. They chained us to add to our grief. Yet we discovered that chains are splendid musical instruments. When we clanged them together in rhythm, we could sing. This is the day, clink, clank. This is the day, clink, clank, which the Lord has made. What a joyful noise. I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. And you can be free 
in chains in prison if the Lord, your warrior God, your Savior, is yours. Matt Merker I was writing in another blog of singing in worship. He said, I look down and on the pages of my bulletin I see the words, Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God, the just, is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. And I look up and across the room I see Jeremy and he's smiling with abandon and he's belting out these words like he means them and he's and here's the surprising thing he's looking right at me it's as if he's willing the truths of the song into my soul by the sheer force of contagious joy and so you've been freed and I have been freed and we've experienced it and we know victory and one day we will experience that victory in completion And so along the way, let's sing. Let's sing and believe in the deliverance, the deliverance that God has effected in the past, that he's effecting in the present, and the deliverance that he will give us in the future. If the Son has set you free, you will be free indeed. And so indeed, let us sing. Let us continue to worship our great God by singing the hymn, Be thou my vision, and let's stand and sing together.